This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, If I can do it, you can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, it's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anakor, and on this episode, we'll be talking about the return of cartoon cartoons. Then after that, we'll get into Google Pixel 6 and Pixel Watch rumors. Then after that, we'll get into NVIDIA GeForce Now's Latin American expansion. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. All right. Hello. Welcome back. Man, it feels good to be back. But, uh, and I'm sorry for uh, departing without telling y'all. I've just been feeling a bit creatively bankrupt recently. Um, And so now I think I'm ready to get back on the train. Um, and so let's do this. So first up, we're going to talk about the return of cartoon cartoons. So, um, for those of you who don't know what cartoon cartoons is, so it, it started out as a block called cartoon cartoon Fridays on Cartoon Network that lasted from, I want to say, the late 1990s to the mid to late 2000s. It was on for a pretty long time. Um, And it featured original programming from Cartoon Network and sometimes Warner Brothers Animation. So, um, pretty much... For the most part, it was in-house studios. Um, And keep in mind that this was back when Cartoon Network 
was under Turner Broadcasting and was separated from Warner Brothers Animation. And so now, um, now Cartoon Network is directly owned by Warner Brothers. And so both Cartoon Network Studios and Warner Brothers Animation will be working closely together now. But that's beside the point. Um, the point here is um, Cartoon Cartoon Fridays used to be a block of um, original programming on Cartoon Network. And now the Cartoon Cartoons brand is being revived as a Cartoon Network Studios shorts program. So Cartoon Cartoons is the official name of it. And... It's going to have a heavy focus on diversity through partnerships. So it's going to um, focus on telling stories from people of underrepresented groups. And I think that's pretty awesome because um, for most of Cartoon Network's history, didn't really get to see a lot of stories told by um, underrepresented groups. Um, I mean, you would get some occasionally, but uh, but um, they were few and far in between. So I'm glad to see that diversity is a focus for um, this program, and um, I'm gonna. Um, get or I'm going to give some more information about the studios that Cartoon Network is partnering with. So first up, we have Black Women Animate Studios. And as the name implies, it gives pre-professional and professional support to women and non-binary artists of color that are looking to get into the animation industry. So I think that's pretty awesome, um, and I very, very much support that. Um, I, I can't wait to see what um, the artists of Black Women Animate Studios um, can contribute to the Cartoon Cartoons program, and I think we'll all be better off for it. And then next up, um, we have Exceptional Minds, which prepares young adults on the autism spectrum for careers in animation, virtual effects, 3D gaming, and related fields. Um, so, with animation being Cartoon Network Studios' focus, it makes sense that they would partner with Exceptional Minds. And um, as someone on the autism spectrum, um, specifically, I have Asperger's syndrome. I think that's awesome that they're partnering with Exceptional Minds and um, giving uh, people who may be autistic 
opportunities that they would have otherwise not had. So I think that's pretty awesome, and I can't wait to see what they contribute to the Cartoon Cartoons program. And another um, piece of information about the Cartoon Cartoons program is that artists that participate in this program will have or will have mentors um, that um, will form a council, a creative council, if you will, that consists of four people. Um, first is Pete Browngart, who is the executive producer and showrunner on HBO Max's Looney Tunes cartoons. Um, before that, he also um, created Uncle Grandpa. So, I mean, that's a pretty huge difference in uh, show um, quality, if you will. Um, I mean, talk about a career glow up. I mean, Looney Tunes cartoons is absolutely fantastic. If you haven't seen it, it's on HBO Max. Go watch it. It's pretty awesome. Um, I wholeheartedly recommend that. And then next up, we have Manny Hernandez. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I apologize if I did not. Um, he is a supervising director on Cartoon Network's We Bear Bears and executive producer on We Baby Bears. So, so good stuff there. Um, I haven't watched We Bear Bears, so I have no idea if We Bear Bears is good or not. I, I mean, I'm assuming it is since it ran for multiple seasons, but yeah, I mean, um, should be pretty, um, or yeah, or it looks like he has, um, a, uh, wow, I can't talk today. It seems like Manny um, Hernandez has a lot of good experience. And then next up, um, we have Katie Rice, who is a series director on Hulu's Animaniacs, which is a Warner Brothers animation production, just like Looney Tunes cartoons is. And I think that's pretty awesome um, because the Animaniacs reboot is for the most part, pretty universally liked by um, most of the people who watched it, so, um, including me, so, I'm, so, yeah, she should definitely be, or she, I hope she'll be a good mentor, um, and then last but not least, we have Aminder Dollywall, I, I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that name, um, which I probably did, um, and I believe that's a she, um, she's an animator and creator of graphic novel Woman World, um, which Woman World, I believe was supposed to be 
an animated series on Freeform, but never got to uh, get to that point, um, which is unfortunate. But um, I'm interested to see um, what um, she could bring to the Cartoon Cartoons program. I mean, not that, you know, I'll probably ever know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, well, I guess we'll see. Um, We'll see what comes out of the program. And I'm really excited for this program. But there are a couple of... um, There are a couple of uh, things that I hope come from this program. Um, And one thing... Or the most important thing for me is genre diversity. So, um, because of all four of the uh, mentors who I just recently listed off, I worry that um, there will be a huge, or there'll be a, um, there'll be like a huge comedy slant, if that makes sense. Um, I think it may be, you know, skewed towards comedy. Um, So I hope that there will be more uh, diverse genres because there are a lot of stories that people can tell with animation. And I would like to see some action cartoons. I would like to see some dramas, like give me more... Um, or give me more infinity trains, give me more, um, symbionic titans, give me more, um, (laughs) give me more generator Rexes, give me more over the garden walls, uh, just give me more stuff, more non-comedy content or non-comedic content. There we go. Um, so give me more of that. Um, that's what I want to see. Um, it's more genre diversity because animation's a medium, um, not a genre, but, um, I would love to see, um, some genre diversity in the shorts that come out of this program. Um, and then another thing is I would like to see some target demographic diversity. So, um, with the upcoming launch of the preschool block Cartoonito, Cartoon Network Studios is positioning itself to create animation for a wide range of people, um, Of course, Cartoon Network is mostly focused on making content for boys, you know, roughly aged 6 to 11, maybe, maybe 6 to 14 or so. Um, I would like to see some adult animation come out of this um, program. But I would also like to see some um, content that's geared towards girls and geared towards um, preschoolers as well. Um, And I think that 
Um, I think that's going to happen. I think we'll see some, I think we'll see a few adult animated cartoons because Cartoon Network is no stranger or Cartoon Network Studios is no stranger to adult animated series. Like we have Primal on Adult Swim. Um, We also have... Uh, J.J. Villard's Fairy Tales. We had season two of Black Dynamite. Um, And then we have uh, Close Enough on HBO Max. So Cartoon Network has, or Cartoon Network Studios is no stranger to adult animation. And then with the upcoming uh, Cartoonito block, um, They're going to be dipping their toes in preschool content for the first time. So that should be, or that should be pretty cool, especially for people who have families and have children. Um, It'll be good for Cartoon Network Studios to, you know, expand their target audiences. Um, So I would like to see some target demographic diversity come out of this program, and I think it will. Um, But that's going to do it for this topic. Let me know what you think of the Cartoon Cartoons shorts program. Let me know what um, your opinions on their focuses on diversity are. Let me know what um, let me know what you would like to see come from the cartoon cartoons program. And yeah, um, that's pretty much going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll get into Google Pixel 6 and Pixel Watch rumors. Then after that, we'll get into NVIDIA GeForce Now's Latin American expansion. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o and be sure to add the Cells and Circuits podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application, which really helps out the show. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Did you know that we now have a merch store? It's true. In partnership with Bonfire, we've launched the Cells and Circuit Shop, where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. So hit the link in the show notes to visit the Cells and Circuit Shop and start getting your merch today. It really does help out the show. Thanks for your support, and now, back to the show. Welcome back, and now it's time to talk about the Google Pixel 6 and the Pixel Watch rumors. So, I'm going to get into the Pixel 6 first. So, 
there are some rumors going on around the next Google Pixel 6 and and some of these rumors have me thinking um, particularly the one around the uh, silicon that's in the Pixel 6 so what I mean by this is that According to 9to5Google, there's going to be a Google-made GS101 chip inside the Pixel 6. And, of course, there's some... Um, of course, there are some planes. Um, anyway, so there's going to be a in-house Google made chip in the Pixel 6 this year. So, um, which will be the first Pixel phone to have ever gotten an in-house made chip. Previously, Pixel phones have used the same chips that every other Android flagship has used, which um, are mostly Qualcomm made chips or Qualcomm Snapdragon made chips. Um, and up until the Pixel 5, or I should say up until the Pixel 4 series, um, they were using the uh, top of the line Snapdragon chips, at least in the mainline chips or at least in the mainline Pixel series. And then when the A series came out, um, they would use, you know, slightly lower end chips like the 600 series. Um, it wasn't until the Pixel 5 that they moved to the Snapdragon 700 series, which is slightly lower end than the... 800 series that the main pixel line was using beforehand. So what could we see with the GS101 chip that's codenamed Whitechapel? Um, well, I don't think that we'll get performance on par with the Snap or Qualcomm Snapdragon 888s of the world, um, which are found in phones like the Samsung Galaxy S21 series or the OnePlus 9 series. But I do think that it'll offer at least slight improvements on the Snapdragon 765. Um, and I don't know what optimizations Google's going to make um, for, for this, or for this phone. I, um, but I would like to see some things built into this GS101 chip um, that we've had in Pixel phones before. 
um, but were taken out for some odd reason. Um, for example, I would like to see the Pixel Visual Core come back. Now, the Pixel Visual Core was a coprocessor that allowed um, faster image processing um, and allowed for external apps, not just the camera app, but external apps like Instagram and Snapchat and other social media apps to be able to take advantage of that um, image processor and deliver the best image that the camera can take a picture of. Um, so, and Google uh, Pixel cameras are known for being among the best smartphones, ah, the best smartphone cameras on the market. So, um, I think that if Google were to build the Pixel Visual Core right into this GS101 chip, I think that would be a very smart move on Google's part. Um, it would just make the photography on Pixels that much better, um, and it would also make the social media posts coming from Pixel phones so much better. Um, especially for those of us who have a Pixel 5, where we don't have the Pixel Visual Core anymore, um, that was taken out. So I would like to see the Pixel Visual Core return, but I would also like to see the Titan M chip built into the GS101 chip. So the Titan M is another coprocessor that Google included with their Pixel phones that allows for advanced security on the chip. So it, or on the phone. So it um, does things like authentications um, or fingerprint authentications and um, pin authentications and make sure that your phone is more secure. It would be great if the Titan M was also built into this GS101 chip, similar to how Apple builds their T-series coprocessors that do security and stuff like that, that are very similar to the Titan M. It would be great if Google copied that strategy with the Pixel Visual Core and the Titan M and built them into this GS101 chip. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, that's just what I would like to see. Um, but do let me know what you would like to see um, or what performance improvements you would like to see from the first Google-made chip in the Pixel phones. 
Um, and next up, I think that would be a good segue into the Pixel Watch rumors. So, according to renders that were leaked by John Prosser of Front Page Tech, I mean, there have been images of the Pixel Watch that have leaked out, and um, I gotta say, it looks like a pretty awesome watch, and um, it'll, or I definitely, or if it does end up coming out this year, I will definitely get my hands on it, and I will let you know what the performance is like. But until then, all we can do is speculate, so I'm going to speculate the hell out of this. Um, and according to those renders that John Prosser leaked, um, it's going to have a digital crown um, covering, or not covering, but on the side, or on the right side of the watch, which is something that I'm definitely missing from my current watch, which is the Tick Watch Pro 3. Um, that does not have a digital crown, so I have to touch the screen and get my fingerprints all over it. And uh, no, um, I would much rather um, have a digital crown like I had on my Fossil Gen 5 before I upgraded to the TicWatch Pro 3. I would just, or it's just a more tactile way of operating Wear OS. And speaking of Wear OS, that's going to be the operating system powering this watch, which should be of no surprise to anyone, considering that this is a Google Watch, so it would make sense that it would be running on a Google-made operating system. And I'm okay with that. I think Wear OS is honestly just fine. Um, I mean, sure, maybe the fitness features could definitely use some work, but other than that, I have no, I have no qualms with Wear OS, um, other than maybe battery life. Um, but other than those two things, I don't have any qualms with Wear OS. Um, so we know that it's going to um, have a digital crown. We know that it's going to run Wear OS. Now, a big question is, will there be any tech from Fitbit inside this watch? And I don't think that we're going to see any Fitbit tech in this watch. Um, as you know, Fitbit had joined the Google family in January as Google had closed their acquisition of Fitbit. So now that Fitbit is part of Google, um, it would make sense that Fitbit tech would be in a made by Google smartwatch. But 
considering that that acquisition just happened a couple of months ago, I don't think that that um, or that that acquisition is going to have any impact on the watch that may be coming this year. It may not come this year. If now, if we do see any uh, Fitbit tech in a Google made watch, I do think it'll probably be the Pixel Watch 2 or maybe the Pixel Watch 3 or something like that. I think that would make more sense as it would allow the time for um, for the Made by Google and Fitbit teams to be working together and integrating more fitness features into Wear OS or um, integrating more of um, Google's features into Fitbit OS or maybe both. Um, but we'll see. Now, as far as the processor goes, do I think that um, we'll have a Qualcomm processor? Or do I think that we'll have a variant of the GS101 that I mentioned earlier that was coming to the Pixel 6? Um, I think that we'll probably get, um, I think that we'll probably get a Snapdragon 4100 or the Snapdragon Wear 4100 as of right now, or at the time of this recording, there's only one Wear OS watch that uses that processor, and that is the TicWatch Pro 3. Um, so it would be great to have another watch on the market use the um, use the Snapdragon Wear 4100. Now, if now if Google is making its own custom silicon for watches, which I've talked about on this podcast before, that would be the more preferable outcome. I would love that because that would end Qualcomm's monopoly on non-Apple and Samsung made watches or watch processors. Um, So I think that would be amazing if, if the... Google Pixel Watch ran on a variant of the GS101 Whitechapel chip. Um, But I don't know if it's going to run on such a chip. I would love for that to happen, but I don't know if that's going to (laughs) happen. But let me know what you think of the Google Pixel Watch rumors or the Google Pixel 6 rumors. Do you think that um, do you think that the Whitechapel chip is going to make any difference in terms of performance? What features do you think that this uh, Google made chip could 
Um, or what features do you think that this Google Made chip could enable on the Pixel 6? And what do you think of the Pixel Watch rumors? Do let me know on social media or on Discord, and we can continue the conversation there. But that is going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be getting into NVIDIA GeForce Now's Latin American expansion. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Are you a small business looking for a financial platform to do business on? Check out Payment, the first Black-owned financial platform where you can do things like sending invoices, accepting payments, and more features will be added in the future. If you watch Trigger Warning with Killer Mike on Netflix, you know that money stays within the black community for an average of six hours compared to the days and sometimes weeks that other communities get. So if you want to bring or keep money in the black community, join Payment, that's P-E-Y-M-Y-N-T, at the affiliate link in the show notes today. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Want to support the show without having to buy any merch? Well, you can do that by buying us a coffee. All it takes is just one U.S. dollar to help support the show. So click the link in the show notes or go to ko-fi.com slash Cells and Circuits to help make the Cells and Circuits podcast a better show for you. All right, so last up, we'll talk about NVIDIA GeForce Now's Latin American expansion. So for those of you who don't know, NVIDIA is partnering with a company called Abia, or is it Abia? I don't know. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it, but um, they're bringing GeForce Now to Latin American countries. And this is huge news for cloud gaming. Because if you remember from my um, one of my uh, beginning of the year episodes, I mentioned that cloud gaming was going to expand into new countries. And... We're seeing that happen now with NVIDIA GeForce Now. Now, mind you, NVIDIA GeForce Now, or this isn't an immediate thing. Um, This is going to be happening later this year. But it's still important because, or actually, I'm going to tell you why it's important um, for three reasons. Um, Number one. Latin America, like some other parts of the world, including Africa and the Middle East, have a huge population of people who don't have access to things like PCs or gaming consoles. Um, I mean, it's hard enough to get the PS5 and the Xbox Series X here in America, so you can only imagine how it is in Latin American countries. So, yeah, it's... um, You could probably see why 
there haven't been that many uh, PS5s or Xbox Series Xs out in the wild. Hell, you know, a lot of people in those countries may not even have a PS4 or an Xbox One. So this is where cloud gaming becomes more appealing because everyone in these Latin American countries has a smartphone or a lot or the majority of the population has a smartphone and you can access cloud gaming services from smartphones allowing you to access AAA quality titles from your smartphone and this will enable huge amounts of people, vast swaths of people to be able to play games that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to play. Um, They've been exclusively, or they've been only exposed to mobile games, but um, in terms of console gaming, they um, only have access to that through watching other people play those console games. Well, now they have access to those console quality games and they can play them on their phones, which is pretty awesome. Um, like, you know, accessibility is one of the best things that cloud gaming is going to enable. And I'm glad that Latin America is going to get. All right. So anyway, Latin America is going to be able to access console quality gaming. And that's pretty awesome. Because they haven't had or for a lot of people in those countries they haven't had access to that so i think that will be a really cool thing and then number two um some latin american countries especially countries like brazil they're very outspoken about wanting cloud gaming in their countries whenever i go and Um, look at the replies to tweets from uh, GeForce Now's competitors like Google Stadia, um, Amazon Luna. Um, You know, some of those comments include, you know, why isn't or why isn't, um, you know, this service available in this country? And for a lot of people, um, especially um, in Latin America, um, they really want cloud gaming in there because it allow again it allows them to get access to those AAA quality titles, and also it'll allow more people to become streamers. Um, you, you could see a new generation of streamers and 
um, that more accurately represents the entire world. Um, you know, little by little, of course. Um, so, I mean, Latin America, um, I'm definitely going to be very happy to see what all, um, comes from that part of the world and how Latin America is going, or how an expansion into Latin America is going to impact cloud gaming and particularly in this case, GeForce Now, I imagine the player base is going to shoot up quite a bit. Um, but yeah, um, very, um, countries like Brazil and, and other ones in Latin America are very outspoken about wanting cloud gaming in their respective areas. Um, and then finally, um, GeForce Now's Latin American expansion is important because it forces competitors to respond. Um, and so you have GeForce Now's competitors like Google Stadia, like Amazon Luna, like Microsoft xCloud. Um, all of these competitors get to or are seeing what GeForce Now is doing and and they're probably going to want a piece of that Latin American pie. Um, so they're going to want to expand into, um, areas like Latin America so that they can get more market share and not let NVIDIA, um, eat up the entire, uh, market share in Latin America. So I think that would be awesome. And it gives people in Latin America choice. Um, you know, assuming, uh, those competitors actually do come to Latin America at some point, um, it'll give those competitors choice. Um, and when, or it'll give those consumers in Latin America choice. And like I've said on this podcast before, when companies compete, we, the consumers win. So um, definitely, um, or even though I don't live in Latin America, I'm definitely happy that cloud gaming is going to be coming to Latin America in the form of GeForce Now. Um, and kudos to NVIDIA and Abia on making this happen. Um, and, you know, I wish nothing but the best for both of those companies. But let me know what you think about GeForce Now's Latin American expansion. Do you think this will be good for cloud gaming? What benefits do you think it'll bring? Um, let me know what your thoughts are on social media or on Discord, and we can continue the conversation there. But that's going to do it for this topic and this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Cells and Circuits podcast, the place for tunes, tech, 
and where they intersect. Let me know what you think of any of the topics discussed on social media or on Discord via the flow page link in the show notes. If you like this content, share it on social media and give it a review to help more people find it. If you want to see even more content just like this, consider supporting Cells and Circuits on Coffee or visiting the Cells and Circuits shop. The Cells and Circuits podcast was written, produced, and edited by me, Chibeze Anacor. Our intro, outro, and transition music was made by Tiffy3. That'll do it for this episode. So until next time, I'm Chibeze signing off.